This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Curtis Tate. We're wrapping up another week and the pace is starting to pick up in both chambers. Plus we have a story from our youth reporters and a history look back as well. Ten bills passed through third reading in the House today with either unanimous or near unanimous votes. Some follow a trend this session of creating more legislative oversight. Others increase consumer protection on gift card fraud and phone spam. Randy Yoey has more. House Bill 4224 relates to performance metrics for the West Virginia Division of Highways. It's meant to ensure consistent DOH performance standards through administration leadership changes. House Bill 4758 creates the Joint Oversight Committee on the Fusion Center. Its intent is to monitor and assist Fusion Center operations, such as investigating threats to infrastructure, election fraud and tampering, and prohibited intelligence gathering. House Bill 5250 relates to combating gift card fraud. It describes necessary training to combat gift card fraud and raises the penalties associated with violating certain provisions. House Bill 5251 relates to the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. It establishes conduct such as unsolicited sale calls and phone spam prohibited under the article and sets forth violations. All these bills now go to the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yoey. The Senate today passed five bills on things like new energy technology and left lane driving. Seventeen bills were advanced. Brianna Heaney has more. The process of taking carbon out of the air and storing it is called carbon sequestration. Trees naturally sequester carbon by absorbing it out of the air, using it for energy, and storing some of that energy in their roots. New green technology called carbon capture can take CO2 released during the burning of greenhouse gases out of the air. Air is filtered through a fan that uses technology to remove the CO2, turn that CO2 into a liquid, and then pump it into the ground. This is a possible answer to the excess CO2 in the atmosphere that is causing the climate crisis. The West Virginia Legislature is making strides to help make West Virginia home to this new technology. Today, the Senate passed House Bill 5045. The bill gives the state the authority to enforce an Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA, rules. So, the state can regulate carbon sequestration. This is part of a bid for the EPA to grant the state the ability to regulate the new technology. It requires that the state abide by or exceed carbon sequestration regulations put forth by the EPA. Randy Smith, a Republican from Tucker County, is the lead sponsor on the bill. 
He says this will help the state get the new technology up and running quickly by bypassing long permit wait times typical with the EPA. Uh, so EPA is going to put the rules out there and normally they, in, they enforce these rules. So basically it just gives the state of West Virginia the authority to enforce the EPA rules, you know, because we can't supersede federal. Smith says he wants West Virginia to be on the forefront of this technology. West Virginia is sort of one of the leaders of trying to get you know the rules and regulations in place as a t so when the technology gets there where it's feasible, uh, where we can capture carbon and store carbon, then we'll be ahead of the game, be able to uh, do the regulations and you know uh, manage it safely. Others worry about the risks of a leak in the underground carbon storage that could taint drinkable groundwater supplies. Around the state, some have concerns with West Virginia's bid to manage the new technology following countless disasters related to the mismanagement of industry in this state. Smith says this bill is a proactive measure to get rules and regulations into place so those disasters don't happen. Well, this is the first step to make sure that when this does happen, this will that we'll be able to manage it. You know, there's a lot of geological uh, information that has to go in. You know, they're not going to be able to just put it in an abandoned gas well or anything like that. These will be specialty wells where they can't leak. You know what I mean? So to make sure stuff like that doesn't happen if this technology does, you know, take off. So. That's what I say, you know, we learn, from, hopefully we learn from our past and uh, our mistakes and this is, that's what this does. Others opposed to the new technology say it perpetuates the use of fossil fuels. The bill has passed both chambers, but it goes back to the House next to see if the changes made in the Senate are agreeable to the delegates. Another notable bill passed today would make it illegal for drivers to cruise in the left lane if they are not passing or under other specific situations, like avoiding a stationary emergency vehicle or avoiding construction. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. Debate broke out on the House floor after amendments were proposed to a measure called the Women's Bill of Rights Friday afternoon. Emily Rice has more. The Women's Bill of Rights seeks to define sex-based terms used in state law and protect single-sex spaces. It was on second reading in the House today. The bill was also discussed in a public hearing this week in which many citizens voiced their opposition and support. Opponents say the bill is anti-transgender, does nothing to protect women, and is written by out-of-state lobbyists. Proponents say it will protect young girls in locker rooms and other shared public spaces. Delegate Kayla Young, a Democrat from Kanawha County, introduced an amendment to the bill. Her version would enact a women's bill of rights that would change state code. It included removing sales tax on feminine hygiene products, requiring implicit bias training in a Dignity in Pregnancy Act, and allowing every person who is an adult, regardless of sex, to make and carry out their own healthcare decisions. The amendment also removed the exemption in state code for marital rape. What it will do, it will remove the tax on feminine hygiene product, products in West Virginia. It will provide access to free feminine hygiene products for all females that are incarcerated in West Virginia. 
It would require implicit bias training for perinatal healthcare professionals and different data and reporting for maternal morbidity and mortality, which we have done some of in this body recently. It would provide for general healthcare freedom for all of us. It would provide access for free feminine hygiene products for public school students. It would establish an eight-week paid leave program for state workers. It would implement fair pay and pay transparency through the Katherine Johnson and Dorothy Vaughn Fair Pay Act. It would require insurance coverage for infertility services, and it would remove the exemption in our criminal statute for marital rape. After some debate, the House went into a half-hour recess, and Delegate Brandon Steele, a Republican from Raleigh County, moved to amend the amendment, removing all the code except the portion related to marital rape. That amendment passed with all present delegates voting in the affirmative with 91 yeas, 0 nays, and 9 not voting. There were also other amendments presented by Democrats that were all struck down. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, moved an amendment that he said would mitigate unintended side effects of defining sex in state code. Because equal no longer means equal when the word sex is being interpreted across an entire state code. Delegate Tom Fast, a Republican from Fayette County, stood in opposition to Hansen's amendment, saying the bill is meant to affect the Human Rights Act. This is a statutory construction bill. It is intended to cover the entire West Virginia state code, including the Human Rights Act. The bill was moved to third reading, and following the debate, the only amendment that passed was the section removing the exemption for marital rape. For the Legislature Today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. This week, our high school reporters looked at three bills that they thought would be of interest for high school students across the state. Hello, West Virginia. I am Ben Velo. And I'm Amira Mustafa. Last week, we discussed bills that affect students, but this week, we will be discussing bills that affect the education system as a whole. You might have heard of the Promise Scholarship. This scholarship goes to all West Virginians who decide to continue their higher education in a college or university located in West Virginia. This scholarship awards a grant that pays up to $5,200 per year for tuition, boarding, food, and more. Because West Virginia ranks in the top five states in America for poverty and is last place in higher education, this money is imperative if we want to cultivate a culture of bright minds. As of right now, this money does not have to be paid back. Once you are awarded the money, it is yours to use to pay for your degree. However, Senate Bill 361, the Promise for Promise Act, introduced by Republican Senator Mike Stewart from Kanawha County, challenges this. This bill proposes that instead of grant money being awarded, it would be in a form of a loan. This means that for each year you stay in West Virginia post-graduation, you will receive credit for one year's worth of the Promise Scholarship loan, with this ending after four years. Should you move out of the state before completing this four-year term, you are required to repay the state for the uncredited years. For instance, if a recipient departs from West Virginia two years post-graduation, they will be credited for those two years in state, but must reimburse the state for the two years remaining on the debt. The bill was introduced into the Senate and sent to the Education Committee last month. It has not moved in that committee. It's important to remember that West Virginia is extremely impoverished, and even those who are attending higher education with the Promise Scholarship still struggle to meet their needs. This is one reason Democrat Delegate Kayla Young has introduced House Bill 4637, also known as the Student Basic Needs Campus Initiative. We mentioned this a few weeks ago, 
but we figured it was time for some updates. Again, this bill would allow grant money to be awarded to colleges that declare themselves as official student needs campuses. Colleges can do this by establishing a student needs program within their school, and they will be rewarded from there. This bill was introduced weeks ago, but where is it today? Well, we last left it in the Education Committee, and it is still there. The bill has not been moved, and it has not been taken up at all for discussion. The legislative process takes time, but with student advocacy in local schools and communication with your elected officials, there might be significant progress in the coming days. In other news, Republican Senator Rick Hillenbrand from Hampshire County is pushing House Bill 4846, better known as the In God We Trust Bill. This bill would require every public school to have a noticeable sign that says, In God We Trust, our national motto posted on the premises. While some might think that this violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, which prohibits the government from establishing a religion, previous courts have interpreted it differently. Some rulings have said that this motto does not establish a religion, but instead a patriotic message and symbol for the youth of tomorrow. This bill was also sent to the House Education Committee, but has not moved forward. If you feel strongly about any of these bills progressing or not progressing in your state legislature, do your civic duty and get in contact with your representatives. Their information can be found at www.wvlegislature.gov. It's as simple as two clicks. Join us next week where we will be discussing bills that pertain to our environment. For the legislature today, I'm Amira Mustafa. And I'm Ben Velo. Earlier this week, the House introduced House Bill 5006. The bill is named Relating to the Administration of the A. James Mansion Rehabilitation Environmental Action Plan. Who was he? We asked Bob Brunner to give us a little more background. By any measure, A. James Manchin was one of West Virginia's most colorful political characters. A member of the Manchin political powerhouse family in Marion County, he was a high school wrestling coach when newly elected Republican Governor Archmore named him to head a small and newly created state agency of government called REAP, REAP which stands for Rural Environmental Action Program. Armed with a few trucks and a few dozen employees, Manchin's task was to remove the mountains of trash from impromptu roadside dumps throughout the state. Manchin turned the tedious process into a continuing series of media events. If there was a microphone nearby, he gave a speech. Critics say Manchin's oratory outweighed his accomplishments, but he soon became a popular figure throughout the state, crusading against jumbled jungles of junkery. Posters popped up in Charleston and were sold statewide. Manchin's entry into politics came when young Jay Rockefeller left the Secretary of State's office to run for governor. Originally, Manchin garnered 18% of the vote in a crowded Democratic primary and finished second. Four years later, he ran again and won big. He wasted no time turning the little-noticed office into a public platform, posing for pictures, distributing trinkets daily. There was his widespread expectation that he would run for Congress or governor, but he decided to seek the state treasurer's office when Jay Rockefeller won the governorship. With no financial background, there was widespread doubt about his qualifications, but fears were calmed when Arnold Margolin, considered a financial whiz in the Rockefeller administration, was appointed Manchin's deputy. 
Soon, there was major expansion of state investment in the treasurer's office. More than 20 counties eagerly transferred their funds, attracted by 17% returns. But when the bond markets collapsed nationally, state treasury funds imploded. Manchin was widely blamed, federally investigated. He pleaded ignorance. Deputy Treasurer Margolin was convicted of federal misdealings and sent to prison. Impeachment proceedings against Manchin began in the House of Delegates. Many counties suffered millions of dollars of losses. I retrieved this document from a trash can in Manchin's state treasurer's office on Valentine's Day, 1989. It is a signed, sworn, and attested letter, an official state document of Manchin retiring. In the letter, he claims that through his actions as state treasurer, he saved 24,000 jobs, and even the battered state consolidated fund made $1.3 billion over the years. He tore up this document. I saved it out of the trash can, but a few weeks later, he actually resigned in the face of impending impeachment proceedings in the House of Delegates. With his reputation in tatters, Manchin retired to the Marion County home. After eight years, he was reelected to the House of Delegates in 1998, where he served relatively quietly until his death from a massive heart attack in 2003. In Marion County, there's a highway named after him. And to this day, thousands of West Virginians still have trinkets and certificates from this colorful figure who blazed a rhetorical path through West Virginia politics for several decades. For the legislature today, I'm Bob Runner reporting. Regularly, we invite reporters from outside news organizations into our studio to discuss what they are seeing during the legislative session. Today, our own Brianna Heaney and Emily Rice spoke with Lori Kersey, a reporter from the independent news organization, West Virginia Watch. Hello, my name is Brianna Heaney. Today, I sit here with Lori Kersey from West Virginia Watch and WBPV's own Emily Rice. We're going to be talking about some of the stuff that happened to this week in the legislature, some of the bills that were passed and some of the bills that are still moving through the body. So let's start with a highly contentious bill, 5243. Um, the bill sponsors are calling it the Women's Bill of Rights. Um, this week, earlier this week, they had a public hearing for the bill where about 20 people came out to speak against the bill. Seven people came to speak in favor of the bill. Um, let's talk a little bit about what the bill actually is. Um, so the bill seeks to define single sex spaces. So essentially the language is that a biological male who identifies as a trans female would not be allowed to use the bathroom associated with their gender identity. Um, it's also in state code, so they're trying to adjust lines of state code to define sex and gender to a certain extent. Um, and the, or, um, sorry, um, opponents of the bill say that it's anti-trans legislation and that it doesn't actually have any rights for women and so the name is misleading. Proponents of the bill say that it is addressing a need that they never foresaw to see happening, which is that people 
identify as dif- different genders and therefore there's more issues coming up in society and much like delegate hansen said on the floor today um we are living in 2024 so it's uh it's difficult to legislate definitely i've heard some people proponents of the bill say that it's the woman's right to privacy and, okay so that would be um the single sex spaces are locker rooms yeah. um bathrooms things like that um, that they're seeking to keep people who identify as transgender from using their assigned restrooms um, because they say it's a safety issue, a privacy issue for biological females who may be playing a sport. And all of this is also coming from um, Independent Women's Vote, which is a lobbying organization, um, national lobbying organization. And they've gotten bills passed in other states that are very similar to this. but. Mm. What was brought up today was um, Delegate Kayla Young brought forth a amendment to the Women's Bill of Rights, which would essentially, it was a strike and insert, which would change pretty much everything to include things like, um, you know, uh, training when it comes to dealing with pregnancy, um, non-discriminatory practices, um, fertility, fertility issues, coverage, coverage um, mandated fertility coverage by insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, they discussed it in the House. It was a debate. And a big part of that debate ended up being amendments to the amendments. And there was a 30-minute break. Um, And what ended up passing was the proposed amendment amended, um, which actually includes the exception for marital rape. Mm -hmm. So that is a whole different issue that's difficult to get into with the time that we have. Um, But that's actually what... Um, one of the delegates moved to strike an insert into Kayla's bill, or Delegate Young's bill, um, to change kind of the structure of that at all, and that ended up going to second reading. So let me get this straight. The bill is on second reading in the House. It needs to go to third before it's passed through the House and heads to the Senate. There was debate on that bill. Um, Amendments were introduced to make it have more rights to help women in the state. Those rights were stripped. The only thing that stuck that stuck was a amendment on marital rape. Can you guys talk to me at all about what what that means, what marital rape is, and and why it's important? I actually wasn't around for the the debate in the House about about marital rape, but I didn't realize that is that what that was put in the bill too. Yeah. yeah. So there's an exemption in West Virginia state code that allows for sexual assault in marriage so it says except within i forget exactly how it was quoted on the house floor today but except within marriages so it's actually in state code that sexual assault and violence of that sort is allowed to take place in state in a marriage so people have been fighting and particularly last year the marriage ban the um went into a few different committees there was a lot of argument about marital rape um, but that's something that seemed to be agreed to across the board today. Brandon Steele was the delegate that put forth the amendment to the amendment to keep that and that be the only thing that's kept. So now the bill defines single-sex spaces and removes that exemption in code for marital rape. Mm. Wow. So that's, I mean, that's that seems like an unlikely, um, I don't know, that, that the way that marital rape is possibly becoming illegal in the state is kind of a whole turn of events type of thing. It's a bill that they've been trying to get through um, 
I'm not sure for how many years, to be perfectly honest. I know last year it was a big point of contention. Okay, let's pivot um, to dentures for Medicaid. I know it's a huge pivot. It is. It's <laughs> yeah. quite a pivot. Yeah. Um, let's pivot to, um, you told, that you we had talked about yeah. a bill in the house um, that would um, change things for Medicaid recipients who need dentures. dentures. Yeah, um, this is a, an example. I didn't know much about what happened today, but I've been following kind of these uh, bills that really haven't gotten a lot of media attention, but this bill, um, so right now, um, th okay, this bill would uh, remove uh, the, well, it wouldn't remove a re requirement, it, it would make dentures um, not count against a Medicaid recipient's uh, yearly $1,000 cap for, for dental services. Wow, that's $1,000 cap is low because when dentures it, are very expensive. Yeah, I mean, like, dental care in general is can get pretty expensive, and though that's what the argument is. So right now, if you want, if you need dentures um, and you're a Medicaid recipient, a, a lot of times people have to get the top plate one year and come back the second year to get the second plate, the bottom plate, um, because they're running against this cap, um, this $1,000 cap, and it can cost like $600 on the low end for, you know, for both of um, each of those plates. And so that's not a very good, um, as far as dentistry is concerned, that's not the standard of care. Um, and there's a lot of people this probably would affect. I'm not sure how many people we have on Medicaid right now, but I've read a statistic in a, like a yearly look at our um, oral health in West Virginia, which is notoriously bad. Um, but like something like 25% of adults um, over the age of 65 need dentures or, no, I'm sorry, or have lost all of their natural teeth. Oh, wow. So this is gonna be a, um, a big, you know, a big thing for people um, to be able to get um, dentures the same year and not have, you know, even, even if you can get back that second year, um, it's, your teeth are probably a little bit different and you might have to, it might not fit, you know? Um, and then there's also like all these barriers, like you have to get, um, if transportation is a barrier, you have to come back a second time. And there's all these different appointments that you have to go to. So um, to get it done in one year would be a, a big thing for people. And it's a simple, it's a simple um, exemption to that, um, mm. that cap that they could, they could do. Yeah. Making dentures more affordable for Medicaid recipients. Right, yeah. Okay. We saw another bill in the House. A lot of these bills that we're discussing are House bills. Um, tobacco cessation. Talk to me about that, Emily. Um, that was actually in the Senate Committee on Health and Human Resources. Um, but it's a Senate bill that would prohibit a person 18 years or older from smoking in a vehicle with someone who's 16 years or younger. And you would have to already be pulled over for another infraction, and it's a $25 fine. Um, and a big, you know, it's, it moved through committee without a lot of issues, but a big question that a lot of people have is, is it going to get some pushback for the argument for parental rights to do whatever they choose to do with or without their child in the vehicle? Um, Lori, if you could chime in, definitely. They yeah. have been arguing this for about 10 years, did you say? Yeah, my colleague wrote about this. Um, it's been in, introduced for past 10 years, and every year it gets shot down in one of the committee's with a lawmaker who's saying that, you know, he's that parents should be sovereign over their kids and have the right to do this and with their kids in the car. So that's always a, a big a big deal. Yeah. 
And these, oh, sorry. I was going to say these bills all represent like a, just a very small fraction of the litany of topics moving through the body. There's also bills on carbon sequestration, a raw milk bill. Um, but that's all the time that we have for today. Again, my name is Brianna Heaney. I have Emily Rice and I have Lori Kersey. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending this time with us this week. You can catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and the Senate on the West Virginia channel. I'm Curtis Tate. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next week. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.